Okay, guys, in an effort to continue to highlight the important stories and not spew some random shit that no one cares about in these times, we have another relevant conversation I'm really excited for you guys to hear. Yeah, and I've been... Ah, I mean, we've been trying to figure out when to have him on, and I just feel like with his expertise and experience, this is like a great time, and he's one of the most dear people in my life. His name is Alex Taylor Taylor Williams, and yes. he is... He's a right now. He's a creative production um, manager, coordinator. I can't remember <laughs> for production a major fashion line in the country. We're, we don't want to name brands. You know, it's not what we we're trying to do is call out specific brands right now. And you know, he's in the industry. We don't. You know, <laughs> we want him to have a long career in the fashion world. <laughs> right. Um, but he is a super talented stylist and and person and he knows the industry really well and he knows racism in the industry really well and we wanted to pick his brain and Mm -hmm. find out what it really is like we mentioned this in in the interview like we know devil wears prada and like that sort of aspect and whatever the kardashians post and you know like the fashion world and we watch we see the met gala but like we don't really know the intricacies of racism and the and like he puts it well, like the microaggressions that exist. Yes. Yes. So like such an important conversation. And one of the things that I was saying to him before we got on the, on the air, (laughs) on the air is that, um, you know, when things like big political conversations happen in the country, people tend to assume, uh, certain, certain industries are highlighted, right? Like, and people tend to assume that like, oh, we can't talk about fashion right now that's so trivial we're talking about bigger issues like race and and people don't realize that it's ingrained in everything Mm -hmm. everything and fashion is something that I don't care if you don't care about fashion you're still wearing clothes every day you're you still are consumer in this industry and you still have buying power and regardless of if you claim to care about it or enjoy fashion or not. And it's an industry that we are all participants in because no one walks around the street naked. And it's Mm -hmm. also an industry where this is like just as ingrained as it is in every other industry. Yeah. And he like speaking to somebody who was in like a major luxury brand, like we said, we're not naming names, but you all know this brand, like this company. And um, he has a lot of perspective, insight. Yeah, and like fashion is something that, I mean, with a lot of other industries that is consistently stolen from the black community, like ideas, trends, so many Mm -hmm. things are stolen and then put on a white body to market. Literally everything. Or even, you know, even if they do feature black models, um, they don't have black leadership. And it's something that we talk about. And something that needs to change. So enjoy. Al, I'm so happy you're here. I'm <laughs> so happy to be here. It's so <laughs> weird because like he Al is like family and like I have, you know, it's it's like mm-hmm. crazy. And we've been trying to like get him on and like have the right topic and make it perfect and everything. And I, I mean, it's impossible, but I mean. Um, but here it is. Actually, it's not impossible. Yeah. But um, I'm so happy because he's literally one of the best people ever. And I love you. And thank you for being here. 
Of course, and I am such a fan. Like, I've been listening to every episode, watching on YouTube, and I just just love y'all so much, and I'm so proud of y'all for doing this podcast and just being two opinionated women out here, you know, stating facts. It's important. (laughs) It's important right now. Thank you so much. We try. I mean, you know. The, the, we're really yeah, just well. saying. You do it well. Thank if you, you want to hear some real facts, check out our conspiracy theory episode. <laughs> no, I was going to say, that's the first thing I was like, well, we do talk about Nazi airports. and <laughs> Listen, right. I think it's real, okay? I'm just saying. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. But I want to, I, I think I kind of know, but audience definitely doesn't know. How long have you guys known each other? Like 10 years or so? Wow. What year is it? 2020? Say- 11 years, 2009, 11 years. 11 year friendship going strong. And it was like love at first sight, like right away. We were like, you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I was love at first sight. I actually knew about Alyssa because I had a friend that went to the same school, um, high school as me, and then went to Montclair State where we met each other and went to college. So I was actually kind of like, who's this girl like stalking her like <laughs> Facebook like in high school and then actually going there and getting to know her it's like oh my god I I just always knew that we were gonna be friends so oh, just I always laughing and always <laughs> getting into some Ugh. some shit together <laughs> yeah it was a time and you know to this day like still this is like my best friend we mm-hmm. talk all the time so yeah I love that but uh Al is like also just someone to always you like you want him to be in your corner like it's he's just like such a, an amazing support system and like so reliable but like I mean also and why we have him on today he's extremely extremely talented and has been a guy if you ever have a fashion question you go to Al like it's 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 your yes. passion. So, like, mm-hmm. I want to know where this came from, really. And I feel like maybe I've asked you before, but I, I, I really do want to know the story of, like, how this became your passion. Yeah. Well, you know, I was raised around a lot of women. And um, I grew up with, you know, I have one blood sister who's five years older. And I have a couple stepsisters as well that were older. And when I was growing up, I would just... You know, I would watch them get ready for the day, and I just thought it was the coolest thing, watching them do their makeup and their hair and mm-hmm, the clothes. Mm-hmm. And this was, like, back in the 90s when, like, Aaliyah was, like, oh. super popular and, like, oh, the oh, fashion oh, of, like, oh, the so whole, funny. like... Yeah, oh, my God, this shirt. <laughs> I, I have an Aaliyah T-shirt on for those of you <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. But, like, that whole, like, 90s hip-hop thing was really, like, a big, obviously a big um, part of music history, but also a big part of fashion history, too. So, mm-hmm. like, growing up around, you know, those girls, and even my mom was super into fashion. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like, Givenchy was one of the first words that she, like, taught me how to say, like, when <laughs> I was a baby. Oh, my God, so, I love like, So bougie. I just, I just always grew up loving it. And my older Where did sister, you, grow up? you know, she would even, like, she would hang pictures in um, our, like, bathroom that we shared from, like, 
Galliano, like Dior, like with mm. Alec Weck, like he did this great editorial where they were like painted blue. And like, that was the first time that I oh. really saw like high fashion and mm. really like thought about fashion as an industry. And I just always was very curious about it, but I never really knew how to get into the industry mm-hmm. or even if they're, you know, was an industry like you know being from south jersey philly area you know it's kind of detached it is close to new york so i knew that there was more to the story up up north but you know in high school i'm from like a pretty suburban town so that wasn't what a lot of people aspired to um so it really wasn't until college where you know i kind of was going back and forth about what i wanted to do and I was um, just randomly got an email from like a college internship, like a person. And they were like, hey, you know, Condé Nast is looking for interns um, for Details Magazine, which was a men's um, quarterly publication, kind of like GQ. Um, But I guess it was more for like that kind of downtown, more fashion forward guy um, on their marketing side. And I thought, you know, I love the magazine. I, I really love fashion. And this could be a great opportunity for me. Yeah. So um, sophomore year, you know, I, inter- I interviewed and I got the internship. And I had, you know, interned at Condé Nast all throughout college up until senior year. Wow. So, and then you went yes. to London. Yes, I did. I studied abroad um, towards the end. Yeah, because, you know... That was in, what, 2012, 2013. Yeah. So a lot was changing at Condé Nast. Um, You know, just magazines in general were kind of becoming non-existent. So details actually, after I left, kind of went under, which kind of put me in a very compromising place. You know, I was just graduating, but I had dedicated, you know, three years of my life to, you know an industry and a company that, you know, just was kind of going through a lot of changes. Yeah. So um, it was interesting, but it was a really great experience to see what it was like to just work at a magazine. Like I got to experience not only, you know, with the fashion side of things, but also a lot of marketing experience, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of event planning experience, a lot of Mm -hmm. photo shoot production experience. It was really like, kind of like a all-encompassing um, internship. Yeah. And I feel like I learned a lot more there than on campus. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, what, what did you study? Marketing? So I, yeah, so I actually studied broadcasting. Um, okay. School, I was in the School of Communications and Media. So mm-hmm. um, it was a lot of more like how to produce, you know, digital shorts and yeah. how to produce um, covering news and, and journalism. So mm-hmm. that was also very influential um, to, for me as well, having that kind of a background. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I went on to producing photo shoots and producing ad campaigns, like, you know, kind of where I, what I'm doing now. So That's everything so kind cool. of came full circle. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, you don't regret it. Like, I feel like that, you know, lent itself to all that you do now. And like, there was a lot of skills that you learned. I mean... We can go all day about what we didn't learn <laughs> Same. at school. Um, but yeah. we, you know, I think we both 
know and a lot of our friends were all just like you know what we all met each other and that's that's what's important. honestly that's <laughs> truly same for me like I as far as like you know what what I was there to study um yeah I really remember literally nothing uh it's, it's a very millennial it's a, it's, experience of just like you know yeah. so much money really just to socialize and meet right people. and that's and that is the value you get from you know where I'm like my my met my best friends there I like fell in love for the first time the life experiences that like likely you would have if you weren't at college too but it's like I wanted yeah. I don't know but you guys like I, I wanted it my degree it wasn't like I thought I needed it for music I knew that I could jump into the industry without a degree but it was just like yeah I want to go to school but yeah I know what you mean Al it's just like what are you for an internship where you're just thrown into the fire and you have to learn as you go and learn on the fly is that that's how kids learn a language like that's how anybody learns anything fastest yeah instead yeah. of sitting in front I, of a I book I remember the day I went for my just for the first interview um, you had to take a train because obviously we went to school in New Jersey and then mm-hmm. you had to take New Jersey Transit into, you know, into the city. And yeah. I couldn't even know, like back then the Condé Nast offices were in Times Square, which mm-hmm. is only like, you know, a few blocks from Penn Station where the right. train is. But I just, I wasn't used to like coming into Manhattan at all that I like got there an hour early, took a cab, like, <laughs> took a yellow cab, which sounds crazy now, from oh my God, Penn I Station remember. to Times Square, where you can literally just walk. Yeah. And, you know, and I went, and, you know, it was like this huge office building in Times Square, and I just remember feeling like, wow, like, I'm not in South Jersey anymore. Like, yeah. this is, like, gonna be, you know, a life-changing experience, and it really was. Did you have um, always growing up or like as your career developed, did you always have the support of your family? Um, Definitely um, now I feel very supported by Mm -hmm. my family. Um, But growing up, you know, being gay, being black, it's tough, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's not easy for anyone. So um, it did, you know, it took a lot of courage, though. I remember in middle school or high school or something, we had to do like um, a personality board where like you kind of cut pictures out of magazines and you kind Mm -hmm. of make um, a board about, you know, pretty much who you are. And I just remember, you know, not really seeing myself in a lot of magazines, Mm -hmm. not really seeing black gay men um, depicted Mm -hmm. very often. So, you know, I would, you know, go cut out, cut out the pictures from the GQ or from the Vogue magazine that were just Mm -hmm. inspiring to me. And I remember showing it to my mom and her just being like completely like disgusted and just being like, uh, like, who do you think you are? Like, Mm. this is not you like you're this is not ever going to be a lifestyle for you. And it was such a shock to me because it were, were things that, like, I really loved and thought that, you know, were important to me at the time. Um, it's really mm-hmm. funny that one of the pictures I remember being on there was a certain designer that I ended up working for for three ah, years. I have chills. <laughs> funny. So it, it, I it's funny that. how that happens. See, but, but it's not... I it, Like, we always say, like, oh, random, how weird. It's funny, but, like... 
I don't think so. I'm like, that's you putting that into the universe. Yeah. And like, yeah. even at the time, it's not like you were like, I want to work here one day. You're not thinking about it like that, but just like you're envisioning it. You're putting it out there. There's so much power in that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I never would have thought, you know, growing up that I would be interning, you know, at this magazine and working for these different brands. Like, that was something that I, I had no idea how to even mm-hmm. go about it. Yeah. So, um, did you shout have out idols? to everybody at Montclair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you have, like, idols? Like, I know, I know one of them, like, Andre Leon Talley. Ooh. Of like, course. did you, like, yes. were they pretty much kind of helped you realize like, oh, there's a place for me. Oh, yes. I remember watching Fashion Police and Andre would (laughs) be on back in the day. I think like when Joan Rivers like was still doing it, I would Mm -hmm. see him Mm -hmm. and obviously on Top Model, Mm -hmm. like he had some of the most like iconic episodes of that show. And, Mm -hmm. you know, his input is just so legendary. And I actually had the chance to meet him Later in life, um, during Fashion Week. Oh, my God. And... I can't believe I forgot this story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was actually oh God, doing, yeah. a, I was doing a fashion show um, for a very, you know, luxury brand that I worked for um, that would always show at the Park Avenue Armory every season. Mm-hmm. And he, I just remember I, my job was to seat people. So, like, mm-hmm. I had a section of the people and I was supposed to just help them find their seat and zip it and stand to the side. Um, but also, you know, if they wanted water, like you can yeah. get them water or something. But for some reason after the show, like something just told me like Andre Leon Talley's right there. He looks like a little parched. Maybe he want a glass <laughs> of water. And I just, something came over me and I just like yeah. asked him and he was like, no, I'm good, but actually come sit down next to me. I'd love to have ah! a conversation with you. And I was just like, what? and then after that, I feel like everything just went like grayish kind of in my <laughs> mind. Cause I'm like, oh my God, like this man is my idol. Like so legendary, like everything that he's done for like, just, just overall visibility of people oh of color God. in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so important. He really is an architect. And I remember, you know, just thanking him. And it was such a great experience. We exchanged information and, like, sent me this beautiful email exchange. And it really, I don't think it's something I'll ever forget, being that close to someone that I've idolized for so long. Well, and he he asked, he just out of nowhere asked you to sit down and talk to you. Did he say, like, why? Or, like, did he have questions for you then? Because he asked you you know, it's a fashion show, so people were trying to come up to him, and I, I just think it, it, but he was on his own. So I mm-hmm. think that it helps, like, mm-hmm. if you have someone sitting next to you that you're talking yeah. to, you know, that way people will feel a little discouraged, like, to come and bother you. Right, so it was right. just such an honor that for those five, ten minutes or whatever, I got to be that person. That's and amazing. I think we talked about Trump. We talked about politics. Like wow. for those when five was minutes, this? we had like a good conversation. Was this that was was recently? This was last year. This was ah! around the time when he had a documentary that um, came mm-hmm. out. I know now he has his his memoir published as well. 
mm-hmm. but this was around the time of the the film, and you know we got to talk about that as well. And I actually escorted him backstage to go and congratulate the designer. Oh so my god! Really cool. Oh my god. So <laughs> when because I remember I was obsessed with Top Model. I don't. What, do you guys know? Do you remember what year it came out? When he was on Top Model, he was a judge. Yeah. So yeah. I think he had a couple of those early seasons. Do you know I think what year? Maybe, I don't know the exact year, but definitely after Janice Dickinson. I yeah. Think what had year left. did it start? Think, maybe like 2005? Before uh, that, I feel like. Before that? The, the, two, the 2000, early 2000s, they're mm. all, they yeah, all blend together. I, <laughs> it has to be around that. If you, like, I know, right? What, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, in relation to him, because you obviously... I always love, I've been obsessed with fashion since like I came out the womb and it makes me question whose womb I came out of because my mom (laughs) does not care, (laughs) but I like, I've just loved it. And so, but I haven't been pursuing it as a career and like the way that it struck you as your passion, I kind of want to, and being gay and being black, my, the first person that I remember like coming into that like rep- repeatedly coming into the picture of the fashion world in terms of media and TV shows was him. And I don't know if that's because um, I wasn't as tapped in as the people who are really following it. Like I could be wrong. Cause I really top model was like huge for me. And I, I watched a bunch of shows before and after that, but he was the first one. He wasn't just like a guest. Can't like you said, he was a repeated, he was a judge and he was there all the time and he was in a high position and respected and, is there somebody previous to him that made an impact on you? Or was that, because we're similar age, like was that the first person that you really, in those aspects, being black, like really saw yourself in the industry? Or were there, not that there um, weren't people before, but do you know what I'm saying? Like for you as a person like my age, were you, did you see anybody else before that? Yeah, I mean, growing up in Philly and South Jersey, you know, me and my friends, we would go out to the gay neighborhoods. And I think that just seeing um, just everyday black men of color, mm-hmm. any kind of men of ethnicity, you know, being themselves and expressing themselves through fashion or through their personal style has also, it's always just been really um really important and amazing for me to see things like that growing up. Um, and mm-hmm. that's really what inspired inspires me as well. Um, and actually after reading Andre's memoir, you know, it's striking how similar, like a lot of the things that he went through when he was coming up in the industry, you know, not being paid, you know, very well at all. You know, mm-hmm. obviously I was at an internship, which was like a little bit different. But, um, you know, struggling to really find, you know, a financial backing for yourself. But but at the same time, being the one that they want to go to for, you know, to bounce ideas off of and being the backbone of, you know, those creative projects, but then not being, you know, equally compensated for that. So um, I feel like that is really of you. Yeah, and it's just it it's sad, but a lot of people I call of people of color in the industry that, you know, I've worked with, you know, I do see a lot of wage disparity. Um mm-hmm. and you know, it's really something that I think needs to change. Um mm-hmm. I don't understand, you know, the hiring methods and and those types of things, the decisions that are being made. But um 
you know, I, that that's really what kind of struck me is how similar his story was to me yeah. and to a lot of my friends. Mm-hmm. What did it take? Like, what was it that kind of made your mom realize that, like, no, 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 like, I, because your mom's accepting and I know that. But what mm-hmm. what was the moment that she was just like, I got you like I get it. I think um, one Christmas I got her some Giorgio Armani like <laughs> presents. And like, I think after that, she's like, okay, like that you can work in fashion because it's going to benefit me in the end. Oh my God. Because he's going to buy me all of the great gifts oh, from wow. the sample sales right. for Christmas and for I'm my birthday. Dead. This is the, so, that is the funniest. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> I, you know what? I, it just takes time. Like it just, yeah. mm-hmm. you have to just really, as you're growing, you need to just, always be willing to have conversations um, about where you are in life with people you love and have a feedback. It should be like an exchange of ideas. It Mm -hmm. shouldn't be like a one-sided conversation. Um, And I think that's really how me and, you know, my mom is great, but a lot of other family members as well, like that's how we grow is like just kind of learning from experience and kind of talking through our issues and you know eventually things definitely work out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um did you start noticing like when you did your internship like did you start noticing things that kind of were like red flags almost and and as a yeah yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, like when after I got out my little uh, yellow cab to Times Square, yes, I was just it was striking how alienated I felt. Like you know, I and I'm from a suburban area. Like I grew up around white people. Like I went to Montclair, but mm-hmm. being in a corporate setting and being uh, the only person of color is a very um interesting experience and because you know there's like a sense of camaraderie i think between a lot of you know the people that are in those higher positions and even some of the other interns because you know some of the interns were people's nieces cousins family members there was like that shared bond that you know their families go yachting every summer together (laughs) together and do whatever in Cape Cod they all get or wherever they go. Together. <laughs> right. And me not having those experiences, not having that same viewpoint, you know, culturally on a lot of things, um, it it is a very could be a very frustrating experience. So mm-hmm. having that internship really taught me how to navigate, you know, working in a white saturated corporate environment. And mm-hmm. learning how to, you know, speak up for myself in certain times and knowing when to ask questions and, you know, also, you know, knowing when to educate and when to, you know, really kind yeah. of tell them, you know, right from wrong when it comes to certain things. Did, Did you, yeah. do you have uh, any memories of specific times where you felt like you had to hold back your opinion or anything because of your specifically solely because of your race at work? Totally. I mean, working in the fashion industry, it can be very intense sometimes. Like a lot of people think that, 
it's just about, you know, clothes and it's no big deal. But, you know, we take our jobs very seriously and there's a certain amount of stress and emotion that comes with that. And, you know, people can get kind of snippy with each other. Obviously, we've all seen Devil Wears Prada. We've seen those types <laughs> of, you know, attitudes in those types of spaces. But what you don't see are people of color, and especially Black men, um, exerting that same kind of, you know, arrogance and that same kind of, you know, aggressiveness. Because yeah. a lot of times, you know, in those white saturated fields, um, you know, if, if I were to, to be that aggressive in the office or something like that, people would take it seriously. They'll take it a lot more seriously than, you know, my white counterpart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's very frustrating, especially when you know, you know, something is unfair and there's something that you need to, you know, speak out about, but also not yeah. having to, you know, really kind of define and really prepare yourself for any kind of thing that you want to say because yeah. you don't want it to be misconstrued or you don't want to come across as like the angry black man yeah. or you well, don't want to be mislabeled as being aggressive when you, you know have... your white counterpart could say the same comment about something mm -hmm. and you know it's taken as a joke or it's taken very lightly yeah so yeah. And um, like you have the added weight of what you say doesn't just represent you to these people you are like represent you have all the weight of like every person of color in fashion every gay man mm -hmm. that's black in fashion like all of these labels the weight when you say something if you're going to ruffle feathers the weight of all those labels is is like they're interpreting it it's not just al saying this this is this is what gay black men think or you know what i mean like people yeah. make assumptions like that in the same way that like if if there's a a female politician if she wears a certain thing or if she cries and it's like, oh, see, this is why women can't. It's like it go. It, it's put on everybody. Yeah. What right. one person does. And so when you I can only imagine when you're in a room where there's yeah, the you're the only yeah. one there, you you're know, the you're the one. only one there. You're 18, 19 years old. Yeah. You're a young kid, you know, and you're, you're far from home and you're just trying to navigate this world that you admire at so much and just mm -hmm. try to find your way to be a part of it. Um, and you and you definitely don't want, to, you know, you don't want it to for them to think, you know, oh well, that's the last time that I'm exactly. going to have somebody, you know, here again from that school or from that neighborhood. So you do, you carry that every single day you go to work. You can't, you know, have a day where you look, you you're in sweatpants, yeah, and your hair right. mess. No, every single day you go to work, you have to be on point because mm -hmm. you do set the example for those that come before you and that are going to come after you. Yeah. So um, it is it, it there is that added pressure and working in an industry like fashion where aesthetics is everything um, and just looks are everything. And it's also a lot about, you know, these kind of personal relationships that you mm -hmm. have with people. That's really how a lot of them succeed. So yeah. um, it can be it can be very challenging at times. Do you remember like how many actual like people of color you you worked with, like like black people specifically? Like, do can you even remember like how many were around you in in the in any of these companies that you worked for? You know, like I would say, you know, I, I've worked at this. It's hard because I've worked at a lot of different places in fashion. Yeah. Um, 
So from Condé Nast, you know, I, they kind of went under and then I graduated and didn't really know what kind of career I wanted to do. Um, I actually ended up working in retail for a little bit. And obviously, oh, okay. you know, like retail, that's where you see all the people of color. You don't really see them in corporate, you know, behind the scenes making exactly. a lot of decisions. But obviously in the world of retail, you know, that's where a lot of people of color are. And it's really sad because a corporation that, you know, could be so giving to their corporate employees on the retail side, you know, it's very challenging. Like, you know, you're working for $12 an hour and having yeah. to deal with the public. Um, and, you know, it's just a lot of added stress in retail. Um, but, you know, it was very diverse and I made a lot of friends that have gone on in the fashion industry through my time in retail. Um, and also I, you know, was able to do a lot of styling for editorials, mm. like, um, on the side when I was working retail. Mm -hmm. So I would work for, with a lot of different magazines, um, and, you know, for even like smaller side projects for different artists as well. Mm -hmm. So, um... You know, I, I do see a lot of diversity in the industry, but like I said earlier, I think the most, the, the biggest issue right now is wage disparity mm, um, yeah. because I just, I don't see a lot of opportunity for growth um, at a lot mm. of places and a, a lot of reasons why a lot of my friends that are also people of color in the industry have left, yeah. you know, are because of things like not you know, not ever given a raise after years and years of service. See, yeah. and that's what, like, I know you know this and we know this because we talk, we talk about these things, but I really want to emphasize, because I don't know who's listening, like who at what age or what their background is to people that like, just because you walk into a store and you see that there are like half black, half white staff, that's not representative of the corporate structure of the brand. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds obvious to us, but also I think so many people don't understand that. Like like you're saying, if you're on the retail side, you're on the face of the brand. They want to show diversity because that's what they need to show mm -hmm. today. You know what I mean? But when it comes down to it, who are the people up in the offices making the decision, getting the most money from it? It's, I mean, what you probably know, I think there's, what is there, one um black woman who's a like the head of a magazine one and it's like it, basically the corporate structure of Oprah. these companies and these brands <laughs> that are diverse enough on the face that we all see and that's why people are like what do you mean like their ad campaigns are it's important yes to have diversity in your ad campaign mm -hmm. but just because like you're you're highlighting just because you see that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that's the way the brand is set up and it doesn't mean that the people working in that brand, like you said, are getting paid fairly. Are mm -hmm. I mean, it's so much shit that people assume from the outside, and that's why it's set up that way, so that you can look at it and be like, oh, they're accepting, they're diverse. Okay, it's so much deeper than that, and I think people really need to understand this and actually do your research because at this day and age, it's not like we only have five stores to shop at and you can't really... Mm -hmm. I can't help it. It's just, it no, we have so many options now that... And it does take some digging, I know, but like, I don't know, maybe you have a way, Al, like when you, as a customer, as a consumer who's not in the fashion industry, how do you even find out what companies at their corporate level, what the diversity is like? Is that even available? Is that information available? Well, I think what we see a lot um, as 
uh, as the public from these advertising campaigns is really fetishizing uh, yeah. minorities and people of color. Like, you know, it's obvious that we're on the mood board, you know, they've got <laughs> us on their mood board, you yeah. know, they've got that hip hop reference, but they want to communicate it, you know, to their audience because they want to have a perceived, you know, street credibility or they want to align their se themselves with just being this mm -hmm. international, worldly kind of brand, I guess. Mm -hmm. When in reality, you know, behind the scenes, it really is mostly white women and white gay men calling yep. the shots. And um, it's really, it's really interesting because you know, just kind of seeing all the different angles of the business from working in retail to working in corporate and just being like a consumer myself. Like I, I'm definitely more, more um, sensitive to seeing those things. And, you know, being in New York and having friends at other brands and we're always kind of talking about what's going on really yeah. kind of keeps me like aware. And I think that people see it, you know, I mm -hmm. think I think now with brands like Gucci that have, you know, made these kind of pledges to diversity and inclusion that have yet to be seen. Yeah. Um, and after doing, you know, some very offensive, you know, collections and merchandise, then are aligning themselves with different rappers and yeah, but, but before, you know, before those things were made and those designs were okayed and approved, it seems like, you know, working with the urban talent was definitely not a part of the radar. Mm -hmm. So exactly. I, I just strongly believe and, you know, be if you're if you're the brand like and that's what you represent just represent that like stay in your lane pretty much like feel free to get dragged you will get dragged if you mm -hmm. come across like sounding you know completely unaware Tone of what's deaf. going on socially <laughs> but you know i just feel like it the the way that brands are kind of fetishizing culture to align themselves with with certain artists it, it, it's yeah. just really sad it is really sad and it's like it goes so deep because then people are like well why do those artists even agree to it's like uh because they're trying to advance themselves too and like yeah. these artists artists of color haven't been financially compensated for their like their work for decades too i mean it's not i'm just trying to like catch everybody stop everyone in their tracks who might be listening to be like but what uh, but 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 like no this is all it's all tied to the same thing I'm actually, and it's not yeah, yeah. still it's i'm still actually happening. interested too in like how you feel about the influencer culture al and like how they kind of approach this because there's a lot of fetishizing like social there. media influencers social media mm -hmm. influencers yeah and I mean, yeah. I, I think even you posted something and I might have reposted it, Molly, but it's like, I don't know, you might have seen it, Al. It's like, it was like a list in, in, in emoji form of like what oh, influencer yes, I did. Uh, Instagrams look <laughs> mm -hmm. like. And it's like blonde, blonde girl, blonde girl, blonde girl, blonde girl. And then just in the last few weeks, like, oh, black girl, brown girl, black girl, brown girl, brunette, after, brunette. Right? After the black square. Right. And then after that, it's like, yeah. And it's it's a joke, but it's also not. It's very real. Like, yeah. no, you see they that. Don't they don't know what to say about the whole Black Lives Matter movement because it has never been something that they've even remotely cared about, to be quite And they honest. haven't had to. Yeah. They haven't cared um, until now. And I think now they're leaning on their Black employees and now they're saying, oh, well, 
maybe we should, you know, get a kind of group together for minorities. Maybe now's the time internally to work on diversity inclusion. Maybe now's the time to feature people of color, you know, and our content creators. When last year, y'all didn't want to hear it. There probably were people of color in your corporate offices telling you that, and y'all didn't want to hear it. And, like, what they're doing now, like you're saying, is they're in a mad rush to get it to the front of the brand, right? right? Instagram, advertising, which is what you were saying before. Like, the corporate structure of these places, as of today, isn't changing. It's still the white people behind. Now they're just like, oh, let's put this in the front. Let's put this in the front. It's still a facade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and do- on top of that, like, they're not... It's like they want to align themselves with the movement, but they don't want to put any marketing dollars toward it, you know? Yep. They don't want to... They don't want to pay, you know, to have a conversation with a leader in the black community right now. Like they they expect things to just come for free and just to get mm-hmm. like sound bites. And it's, you know, incredibly distracting because there's a lot of people that need to be focused on organizing and focusing on um, pushing the movement forward. Mm-hmm. And for them to even have the audacity, like some of these brands to ask for like a partnership or to do an Instagram <laughs> live and not even throw up any kind of marketing budget that we all no. know you have. You know, a exactly. lot of these brands after, honestly, after Corona, a lot of these brands got a lot of money from the government. Yeah, okay? because can the I, small Can I say that loud so everybody hears this? Because <laughs> yes. a lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of employees were furloughed, yes. And a lot of these companies got a huge check from Donald J. Trump as well. Yes. So, and that money was supposed to be used towards the employees. So, you know, I I, I don't know. know, I, I just, I just hope that, you know, a lot of the companies end up really putting it towards the employees and, you know, giving the raises and pushing to raise the the salaries of the retail employees, Mm -hmm. as well as the people in corporate Um, Mm -hmm. because it's really going to be important, like, coming out of this recession. Yeah, and actually what you said about companies now in the last month, um, like, flailing and, like, oh, we need to... And and you said, like you said, if they they have black employees in corporate, they're leaning on them, putting all this weight and pressure on them. Meanwhile, those employees, as you said, are getting paid less than everybody else and now Mm -hmm. their responsibilities are heightened and they're actually the brand is leaning on them for its very life Mm -hmm. and they're still getting paid less yeah and you want me to talk to you about racial injustices (laughs) when it's something that you need to educate yourself on exactly like it's very just the whole idea of that is very disrespectful yeah, exactly. Um, it, I, I saw every, everybody has access to Google. Like yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody can just sit sit here and be ignorant so about the history of this country. If you can Google how to make another fucking banana bread recipe, you can Google the history of this country. That's there was some meme going around that I uh, it addresses exactly what you're saying, Al, about how the the massive issue with white people being like going to their black friends or, or or on Instagram, just like, what do I do? I don't, what, tell me what to do. Tell me what yeah. to do. And it's like an image of this white person stabbing a black person with a knife as a cartoon. And the white person is saying, tell me what to do. How do I make the pain stop? And the, the black person is like, 
pull the fucking knife out. like i can't do anything you have to do something here and it's like That's it's so awesome. real wow. though because it's like honestly like there's a there is a difference mm-hmm. i know it's a fine line for some people but between having these conversations like you coming on here right now um talking about the fashion industry talking about your experience because it is not mine mm-hmm. it is not Alyssa's, and it's important that we share these stories and there's a difference between that and having your black friend on to explain how to not be racist. And that's like, I think that's what you're talking about, right? Where it's just like, explain to us what to do. We don't know. Yeah, totally. And you know what? If you don't know and if you if it really is not a core value of your company, it's never been something that you've spoken out before about, my advice is to don't continue not to speak out. So that way we know where we're not shopping and where we're not going to be spending our dollars because I really feel like the next um, revolution is definitely going to be more of an economic Mm. revolution where we don't shop at those brands that, you know, are supporting the re-election of this president. And we don't, you know, contribute to just this overall, you know, capitalist kind of culture that we have with the fashion industry. Are there, I have a question yeah. for you. Oh, sorry, listen. No, no, no. I, you go ahead. Uh, did I saw this article, and it wasn't just random Instagram posts going around for everybody who's going to be like, "This is bullshit." It was like a BuzzFeed article, or, but it was about certain um, retailers having. It was like Zara, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, um, what, what uh, Balenciaga, like major brands having code words in their stores that the employees say to one another over the walkie-talkie that the shoppers hear just to indicate that a black person has walked in and that somebody needs to keep their eye on that person. And it was like straight anthropology's word was Nick. It was like, so when you're shopping and you just hear Nick to the front desk, well, you don't care. You don't think anything of it, right? And that is straight up. There are employees of these brands and companies that um, were coming forward and saying this. And it was it was corroborated by multiple people over generations, people of color, white people who have worked for these brands that were like, yeah, I remember being told this and I remember being trained this way. Well, Al worked and, at one of those companies. I won't okay, say which one. I, well, I was just wondering, like you, <laughs> mm-hmm. because you're in fashion, is there talk of that in the industry that actual, because that got exposed recently, unfortunately, even though it was going on for a long time. But mm-hmm. like, that's another, what do you think of that? Or what have you heard is that, I don't know. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is definitely a thing in the industry. And, you know, I I was working for like a, a very, you know, expensive luxury brand that had stores, you know, on Madison Avenue, Beverly Hills. And I was a corporate employee, but I would have to go to the stores sometimes to like, you know, if we mm-hmm. didn't have a, the right sample or something, we would yeah. do a store pull, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go in and I was a corporate employee going into one of my company's retail stores. And I no. often, if I didn't, wasn't aware of the staff or if they didn't know I was coming, like a lot of times security like would, would follow me around or they would be like, are you sure you're in the right place? Wow. Or when I was leaving with like, you know, the giant shopping bags with all the merchandise and stuff, like having to like get extra, you know, it's like, and but then being, but then being a corporate employee. So I do think that there is a stigma, especially like at in these luxury stores where they do they they profile 
they'll profile you in second. And honestly, it doesn't even have to be a luxury store. Like, no. it could just be, you could just be like, you know, in Arizona at the Scottsdale Mall or something. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Gotta and bring up Arizona. People, you know, and people <laughs> don't even, and, but people don't know who you are, like, you yeah. know, and it's very sad. And it's even sadder to me that they would put a name to it like yeah. that and encourage their employees to say that. So I, I don't know if you know the answer to this. I'm just like that whole article. I was just like, you know, on the, at the same time, I'm not surprised at all. And I'm also horrified. And I'm just like, how in training though, because you have to have all your employees understand that this is what that means. Cause that's a part of the language. It's like a code mm-hmm. word. So in training, do you know, they just flat out say like, if a person of color comes in, this is what you say. Yeah. Well, you, know. you know what? Another thing um, that I've experienced in the industry is definitely it can get very clicky. Like when you're at mm-hmm. a retail store, you know, it's like the manager and then maybe there's like, a little accessory assistant and like (laughs) normally they are you know even and at a retail level normally it is you know the white caucasian members of the store that are in those positions of power that make those kind of decisions per store you know Mm -hmm. and i i feel like the culture the company culture at a lot of these brands you know has been for a while to just kind of promote whiteness and just you know, always just have that as being the forefront of mm, the of brand, really. Mm. So they're, they've never felt, they probably didn't feel like there was anything wrong with it because to them, you know, they were kind of like the brand ambassadors and they were setting the tone for the clientele and for the store and for the image of the brand. When in reality, you know, they're just a lowly retail store manager, you mm, know? Yeah. So... I, I think that it definitely depends um, on which store and how they kind of structure their employees under them to work like and how maybe, to greet clients. Like maybe not that. I guess that was my question. So maybe not all employees know that it's like maybe right. it's the just the white employees and the white employees are the ones making these calls or because I was totally. question. I'm like, how do you? What are you going to hire a black? person for your store sales representative floor and and tell them that like no so how are they because everything is a fucking the fashion industry (laughs) overall it's just a breeding ground of microaggressions for people of color so you know i it, it it wouldn't surprise me that they would do that and have employees not know about it or they would yeah. try to do those types of things you know behind people's backs you know, and that's that's another thing that's just it can be really hurtful sometimes because not only are you having to deal with clients and do doing your actual job, but then having to, you know, obviously impress, you know, your the higher ups and making right. them feel like you're a good employee and that you're atten- attentive. So yep. um, and everybody that, has to pay their rent and everyone has to feed their family. Right, but also that's something that they would never put in writing. Like, there would never be, like, an employee manual somewhere that had that. No. Um, But it would definitely be, like, an unspoken, you know, rule. Ugh. And also tell us, like, where, like, what your position is now and where you see yourself in fashion. And eventually I'd like to know like how you kind of see this industry turning out, but I want to see like your personal, like where you see yourself in this world and what you want in it. Right. Well, where I am now, honestly, 
um, I couldn't really have picked like a better situation um, because I, I still am working in the industry. I'm still doing what I love, but it's for a brand, um, obviously not as exclusive and high end as I, you know, grew up thinking I would aspire to, but still an iconic American brand that I am very proud to say that I work for. So um, where I am now, you know, I think I'm really happy. And especially coming from being at a luxury brand and not really feeling appreciated, not really feeling like myself, you know, mm -hmm. coming home after shoots, like literally crying. You know, oh. nobody should be coming home crying. Like it's fashion. Well, listen, like, nobody should be that like emotionally invested in it. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I'm human. Like that's that's how it is. That's how it was. But you know, now, you know, I'm definitely really happy in my career and it just goes to show you that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there are some brands that, you know, are at least willing to have the conversation about, you know, how they can be better and they do want to hear from their employees in a meaningful way and, mm -hmm. you know, not just, you know, to have a sound bite or to look over, you know, a story that yeah. they're going to put out. So, uh, I am happy now and in the future, you know, right now with Corona, I just, I'm just, I'm glad I got a job, y'all. I'm I know. glad I got a job right now. I don't know. I was like out and about yesterday and I was, I was like, oh, well, people were like showing up with fashion. I was like, someone did not pause fashion. I was like, people are still... No, they kept yes. buying it. It's just been sitting in their closet yeah. until now. Yeah. I was seeing People looks gonna... with these masks. Uh, I was trying to. <laughs> I was trying to do something different. Yes, you always turn it out. We always it's true. fashion is just fun. It's like self-expression. Like how it's can you fun. not love it? You know. Yeah. yeah. But you know, definitely coming through this Corona and the recession, you know, it's going to be even harder now. For like now, looking at my experience, you know, I'm blessed that I got to have, be at Condé Nast and do everything that I did because now a lot of kids couldn't even have their graduation. You know, I they know. couldn't even, they don't even know if they're going to school next semester. Yeah. Let alone so, get an internship somewhere. Yeah. Right. And then a lot of these brands, you know, they furloughed the employees. I don't know what their processes are for bringing a lot of them back. And I know a lot of the stores have also been shuttered. So um, yeah. right now I'm just like really blessed to, you know, be able to pay my rent and <laughs> right. buy a little something, something every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> and like, do you see yourself like, I know in our fantasy, like I'll be like a, a famous actress and you'd be my stylist, my personal stylist, yeah. but like in a likely event that doesn't happen. Like, do you, do you, do you still unlikely. see yourself? Unlikely, wait, stop. <laughs> In the oh, unlikely event that that doesn't happen. Anyway. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> it's <been> happening. <laughs> Take that back out of the universe. Do you still see yourself, regardless, as being a stylist, as being a, like, what is like your ideal position in the fashion world? Well, I definitely want to own my own business one day. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's something a lot of people aspire to. And, <laughs> you know, working in the industry, like, you know, I've actually seen a lot of successful business owners and a lot of people that are just out here, you know, started off with a couple of jobs and yep. now are able to command a much higher salary than if they were with a corporation. 
So mm-hmm. I definitely could see myself starting, um, you know, a creative production agency, even, you know, a modeling agency one day. I would love to start, oh, you know, a Bailey? modeling agency. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just really like, I, I would love to be able to use my experience uh, in a meaningful way to help, you know, the next whoever's coming after me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Well, and also... Thank God you didn't just decide to start it right before all this shit happened. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm going out on my own, starting my own business. Fuck. Exactly. And one thing I'm actually really proud of is um, that I was able to get Juneteenth recognized at the company I'm at. No um, way. As a company-wide holiday. So now um, it, they weren't able to do it, obviously, because it just passed. But for, you know, next year and the coming years, it'll be a paid ah. holiday for employees. Are you serious? So... That's like just like a little accomplishment because I just feel That's like amazing. even even after I leave the company or, you know, whatever happens, if the company ends up closing or whatever, I feel that I kind of made a little step to making it better for whoever comes out. Honestly, me. that's not little. Yeah, <laughs> it should be little. It should be that that was an easy thing to get. But in the world that we live in, obviously, that's that's not little because I know we're not naming brands out of respect for companies and brands but like like you said it's an iconic american brand and that's a big deal i'm so proud of you and excited about that yeah yeah thank you and it's it's just really it's all about educating people because Mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't even know it existed you know a lot of people saw it on the calendar and just never really thought twice about it but was ready to go out for fourth of july every Mm -hmm. year you know so you know, I think you just have oh, to yeah. educate no, no, people. Sorry, what'd you say? So I think you just have to educate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I had a call with my parents yesterday and my parents are like, I, I, I'm so grateful for who I was raised by because they're, they're everything that aligns with how I think and what I believe as well. And what everything we're talking about. However, like you were saying about education, we don't, there are so many people who think the way that we are, would agree with everything we're saying, but don't know, aren't educated because what I'm trying to say is like the, the white supremacist system that we all grew up under, whether we're white or black, it only works by upholding certain things. And part of that is to keep white people um, uneducated and ignorant of the what's actually happening because as we see, of course there are there's a lot of fucked up racist white people, but I also know that there are a lot of white people who they don't know they're sheltered from it mm-hmm. by the system. The system shelters you from these facts. And and I was talking to my dad about the store where we were talking about with certain stores having code words for black customers that come in, and he was like, you know, Molly, I. Honestly, a couple months ago, I would have questioned whether that was real. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that really happens. And he's like, but now I full, I believe it. After this last month, he's like, I believe. And, my, and that's coming from my parents who are not skeptical of the Black Lives Matter movement or they're completely on board. And so my point is like, even when you're people, whoa, even, not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even when you care, you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And, and also that with education spreading, like you just said, it's education because there are like, honestly, I would say there are millions of white people in this country right now who are everybody's participating in the system, right? But who are actively 
ignorant about these things who even if they're given a fraction of this education, this information would be right over to the other side. Mm -hmm. But it's the only reason white supremacy has lasted so long and is so strong is it, it relies on white people not knowing these things. Yeah. And the the history that we learn is just the fucking fairy tale. (laughs) I'm sorry. Can I curse? Yeah. Yes. I think I already did. <laughs> yeah, Please do. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but like, I was like, it's like when that clip that was going around of like the View when Sonny was like, <laughs> oh, I know. Joy on George Washington, and uh-huh. there was like adults, adults that think that he was walking around with wooden teeth and yeah, e- and Joy is like, and- you know, woke, but like. Right. Even she didn't but even know that. But it just goes to show you, you know, it's it really goes down to the history that we learn and yep. the film, the and films that have been made that glorify. Yeah, we've just been taught to glorify these these group of white men in a certain yep. part of history as if they had the greatest idea for the greatest <laughs> government ever. And, and, and as if it applies like, I don't think to, to, I think we can do a, a lot better now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, we act as though that applies to de- like, just because it was wrong when it was wrong back then. So why would we think that if it was wrong then, it's still right now? Yeah. In the sense that it's just well, I think that one of the biggest blockages to people. Um, waking the fuck up is that they it's defensiveness Mm -hmm. and i feel like i just want to tell everybody right now like separate yourself no one's uh, i'm talking to white people right now um (laughs) nobody's blaming you specifically for slavery nobody's saying your mom did this your grandma did that we don't know none of us were here right so did you have any say in being white no did anybody else have any say in their skin color no also, we live in a system that intentionally separated us from this knowledge, um, which that isn't our fault. But what is our responsibility is educating ourselves and mm-hmm. listening to these conversations like with you, Al. But it's just like I feel like so many people get hung up on the defensive aspect. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. We know you didn't know. That's why white supremacy is working. It's not your fault. You weren't taught this. But now it's your responsibility. Yeah. No more excuses either. It's like it's getting to it's 2020 i mean there's no more excuses on uncovering your eyes and your ears and and pretending everything's okay yeah especially especially if you are a white person and you're also part of the lgbtq plus community yes Mm -hmm. i just felt that a lot of times you know they they are they are very visible in a lot of fashion companies you know it is a lot of white women most of them and it's mostly a lot of white gays Mm-hmm. And um, obviously they understand what it feels like to be disenfranchised mm-hmm. and to have to fight, you know, for equality and every day of your life. You know, you, mm-hmm. a lot of them grew up bullied, grew up with families that didn't accept them. So it's just very surprising that now once they are in positions of power and they are employing, you know, people of color that they don't take the time to even educate themselves on certain things, you know, and actually with the Juneteenth at first, you know, it was approved, but I was told it would be um, like a a holiday, like it would be a holiday that Mm -hmm. I would lose, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. which 
has a financial implication, you know, because yeah. your holiday time is supposed to be your holiday time. It's not devoted yep. to, you know, certain holidays. And, you know, I work with a lot of women that are in the people in that are in the Jewish community that take off for all of their holidays, yep. yeah. you know, and I don't know how that is different from Juneteenth, you know, yeah, exactly. and I don't understand. Sometimes it's puzzling. Like, I'm glad that they are open to have the conversation, but you know, a lot of times when you're the one in the position of power, you need to be the one to step out and say, look, yeah. this is coming up. We're employing this person. We have people of color that we care about. Yeah. How can we how can we change and support them more and show them that, you know, we see them and that they're appreciated? Yeah. I'm I'm like so excited that you got that you did yeah. that for that. Uh, brand. I didn't even yeah. know that. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. I want to I wanna know what your SOS moment is, Al. Uh, well, my SOS moment was definitely, you know, before I, you know, had this amazing career opportunity, you know, I was in a very kind of bad um, working situation and I hated my job. Um, it was really difficult for me every day to even wake up going to the office, just feeling just overall dread. Um, So it definitely, you know, it just, it came to a breaking point, I think, when I was just like, you know, crying, like, you know, nobody should be at work crying and other employees were crying. Trust me, I wasn't the only one that was going through this at the time. Um, But, and I think that also really helped me decide, you know what, enough is enough. Because seeing that I'm having this experience my coworker, who's also a person of color, is having the same experience. And we're going to HR. We're following all the different, you know, procedures to try to work work through issues, you know, yeah. within the office. And it just wasn't going anywhere. So I had a, you know, SOS moment. And I just kind of, like, jumped out on faith. And luckily, I landed somewhere that I really feel valued. And yeah. I really feel seen. And I feel appreciated. And I love i genuinely like love my coworkers, which is mm. so rare right now um but i just feel like everything everything kind of happens for a reason that way yeah 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 i remember you, you also... telling me about that one situation and, and and the racism that you were feeling and it was from like i don't know if i can say like a young a young girl right it was like a young white girl yeah it was like a girl was a that literally Literally the whole time I've been working has been with people within, you know, five to 10 years older, you yeah. know? So it definitely isn't like a generational thing. Right. Um, you know, it really do be people your own age yeah. that act crazy. But so white. But white we still, people. We, but we still need to, we, we just still have to educate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also like the, I I have a lot of admiration for you because you actually took you made the decision because so many people are in miserable situations mm-hmm. and they you know they wait till they're forced out or something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and even just talking financially like that's I mean you like you said we're not I know we're not naming brands but like you said you're at a luxury bland uh, bland uh, which also bland apparently it was bland. <laughs> a luxury yeah, brand bland. but like <laughs> high end and. You know, it's like to take that leap and to feel so, I mean, that's how bad it got that you're like, Mm -hmm. I don't care 
about the security that I have financially that I need to get the fuck out of here. And that, um, it says a lot, but it also, it takes a lot to do that. It does. you landed on your feet, but it's it not like at the time. It wasn't something that, like, I decided, like, overnight. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, like, me and this, my one coworker who was, like, my confidant, you know, we were the only people of color mm-hmm. in the entire yeah. corporate office, period. Okay? Period. Two. There was two. And I'm, and I'm counting interns, too. <laughs> like, so, you know, it was just very... Every day was a it was a battle. I don't it, I don't know why it was that way. I think that I think that as a director, with the, whether you're in fashion or any other industry, like you set the tone for your department. Yeah. Like you you set the tone. You allow what you allow within the department, and that goes towards you know the way you speak to one another, the way you interact with with one another, the way you give critiques. You know, mm-hmm. you set the tone and a mm-hmm. lot of the upper management there, they were just setting a very negative tone for the entire yeah. office. Jeez. And um, the one coworker actually ended up leaving. She had been planning and planning and like behind the scenes, we were, we were like, is today the day you're going to tell them you're you're quitting. Yeah. And she quit and actually went for an entire year around the world by herself backpacking wow. and had been saving and like she went on her own and like she really inspired me because after she left then there was one okay mm-hmm. so then I I really didn't have anybody to like you know it was so helpful like having those lunch breaks where oh, we yeah. just like leave the office for like 20 minutes and can just be like do you know That's... what she just said to me like yeah, yeah, yeah. have like mm-hmm. an actual moment you know and not yeah. feel judged or feel like people are spying on, you know, yeah. or like, you know, or blowing things out of proportion. So when she left, like, it really, it it kind of changed my world. And it made me think, well, then what am I still doing here? Like, she's out there living her life, like, yeah. traveling the world, doing all these great, fabulous things. And I'm still here being miserable because I am tied to the idea of this brand and it's a brand that I just grew up with and that I had always wanted to align myself with but I was forsaking my own you know emotional sanity really dignity yeah Mm -hmm. so you know obviously you know still love all the luxury brands (laughs) but for me um working like with a more diverse like mass market kind of brand has been really like helpful for me and yeah. my like own sanity <laughs> yeah i understand wow I, did did you feel a shift in like your because sometimes when you're in an, when you're in an environment that's toxic for so long you know it's bad and and but you don't even realize the extent to which it absorbs into your self-perception mm-hmm. and i don't know if like when you got to this other place where you are now where you're just like oh my god this is and things are so much better then mm-hmm. did you realize the depth of like even how it affects your your perception of yourself when you're at work in an environment like that? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't doing my best work because I was so scared of making a mistake or yeah. doing something wrong and like being reprimanded. Whereas, you know, now, like if, if there's a mistake or if we need to address something, like it's a way more positive mm-hmm. and it becomes more of a learning experience than 
you know, just an experience to belittle someone or try to tear someone down. And mm-hmm. actually, like when I met Andre, like that, that's why that connection will always stick with me because it was during fashion week, a time that, you know, is like so stressful. Yeah. You know, it's like that one part of the year that if you work in fashion that week, you're not going out. Mm, like no. you are not calling not your eating. friends back. <laughs> you're not eating. Like right, you are right. just yeah. focused on the show. Yep. And mm. so obviously it was very intense and um, a lot of things at the company were changing. And then like just seeing him, like I just felt like he knew what I was going through, but like yeah. he did it, you know? So right. like his words just really like stuck with me. And, you know, that also like, really helped me like decide to branch off too that's so cool i am so proud of you al and everything that like you've been through and how you've never let it stop you you never let it you know like you've just overcome a lot of shit and you're still so fucking awesome and and amazing and talented and i'm so so (laughs) lucky that you're in my life and that you that you're here talking to us like you know I know we're not naming brands but it's still brave to talk about these experiences because you know I I mean obviously because you're in my life I know I know a lot of these stories but you know you don't you you just assume and you just kind you know you're you don't really put faces on these stories in this world because Mm -hmm. you know most people just know like you said Devil Wears Prada and not you know any other yeah experience and and you were like living it with me as i was like going through yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah so like now that we are, have came through the other side and can mm-hmm. look back and like laugh on it like yeah. that is mm-hmm. like such like that's like such the ultimate victory you know because yeah, for a yeah. while like it just was like this gray cloud like i'm always just gonna be here and i'm never gonna yeah. get promoted and like so this is my career and like nobody's gonna want to work with me yeah but like now i'm like somewhere where i you know i just i i really do feel supported and i i'm just couldn't be happier so and and i want to like emphasize for people too like i guess i already said it but it's not like this I admire you so much because you had to make that decision. Like everybody is like, oh, that sounds great. Maybe my, maybe my situation will turn out like that. Mm. And it will, if you decide to make it like, you know, you made that jump. It's not like, you know, that you would fall into this specific job and then everything would be great. And you'd feel this way, but I applaud you for following your gut instincts and your intuition because you knew, like, I don't have the answers for what comes next, but I know this is wrong. This is Mm. detrimental to my spirit. And mm-hmm. like, that's only step one. A lot of people get there. A lot of people live their life knowing that their career situation is detrimental to their spirit. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's step two. It's like, you did that. You were like, I'm out. I'm out. I don't know what's next, but I'm out. And I applaud you for that because that takes a lot of guts and a lot of um, belief in your own intuition. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because you never know. You could go somewhere else and have the same experience. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, Statistically. You know, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think I just was really lucky that everything worked out and um, just so happy. Uh, well, thank you so much, Al, for taking this time to talk about this stuff. Um, yeah. 
It's important. Thank you guys for having me. I wish I could give you all like big hugs. I know. I want to give you, you a will. hug here. I know. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much. I love, I love you. you. And now we're friends for life, so you can't get rid of me. Yes. Friends <laughs> for life. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and thank you again to Al for sharing. Um, I yeah. I love him so much. I hope you guys do too. He's amazing and um, <laughs> you're going to see yeah. him again next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much to Al. Like I said, this is a part one of two part Al conversation. Mm-hmm. Next week's a different topic though, um, still regarding race. So it's going to be really interesting um, for this week's. We wanted to, highlight for our charity nonprofit, um, the Black and Fashion Council. And the Black and Fashion Council was founded by Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, and Sandrine Charles, owner of Sandrine Charles Consulting, um, to represent and secure the advancement of Black individuals in the fashion and beauty industry. As a collective, they envision a world in which Black people in fashion and beauty spaces can be open and honest, guaranteed equal rights, and be celebrated for their voices. Uh, They've partnered with the Human Rights Campaign to create an equality index score that will provide benchmarking around the corporate policies and practices pertinent to the inclusivity of black employees. Um, So they're fairly they're new. So there's no there's at the moment there isn't a place to click and donate. However, you can follow along and learn more at blackinfashioncouncil.com. Another thing I wanted to shout out that has cropped up in the recent month of insanity in this country um is an organization called pull up for change i don't know if you guys have heard about this i recently heard about it um so it is it was started by uoma i hope i'm saying that correctly u-o-m-a uoma beauty founder sharon shooter started this movement that asks brands to disclose the number of black employees in corporate roles and a number of major brands have participated and this isn't saying like she specified it's not black employees because we all know the face of brands has become very diverse because you need to people to think you're a diverse brand the models the retail people the people in the front but she's talking corporate structure the people at the top of these brands making them, and making please the plans, and making the deals yeah making actually Signing making this shit happen and is asking that they disclose the actual number be transparent how many black not just not even just people of color black employees are in your corporate roles and um so this is it's called pull up for change it's on instagram at pull up for change so please follow them you'll see which brands have participated which haven't which have been called upon to participate but haven't there's also brands who have participated whose numbers are pretty pitiful. And for that, I say good for you for just acknowledging that you have one black employee in corporate for putting that information out there, calling yourself out. And for those that release their numbers and have good numbers, obviously, thank God for you. But um, it's a really solid thing to support. So I wanted to throw that in there too. Yep. And if you wanted to check Al out more uh, go to his Instagram at, at Alex Taylor W um, and uh, reach out if you have similar stories or have questions about the industry he's more mm-hmm. than um, happy to answer those for you yeah and uh, yeah next week we're gonna be talking to him again with his wonderful boyfriend Dace about basically being an interracial couple during the time we are in right now 
um, and the struggles that come with that and the joys that come with that. And, and not even just an interracial couple, but a gay interracial couple. And mm-hmm. and yeah. And I, I, I'm so excited for yeah. you to hear that interview. Um, please yeah. follow us at the SOS pod on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, get us on YouTube at, uh, well, there's no at, but search for SOS with, with Molly and Alyssa. And mm-hmm. you're going to see our beautiful faces uh, talking uh-huh. because we are on YouTube, baby. Uh, rate right. us five stars, please, on please. Google or Apple <laughs> Podcasts and leave a review. It really helps us in the algorithm of things and helps us grow our audience. Um, but that's yeah. it. So we love you yeah. guys. Thank you for coming in and uh waiting and still being here if you're still listening (laughs) this episode (laughs) right we love you and uh here's to turning meltdowns into magic 